Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. So this sermon series has been about gratitude intervention. We're wrapping up today. We're going to do it a little different. We're going to keep the pace moving rather quickly. All three of them are going to share. They're going to have nine minutes to share. We're going to hear about the life of Jonah, the life of David, and and then also the life of Saul, who then became Paul. And so they have nine minutes apiece. They're going to share about this. We're going to keep moving. And then I'm going to be back up at the end. So without further ado, go ahead, guys. Brian. Never done this with a timer before, so <laughs> this ought to be good. So what had happened was I had sat God down a couple of mornings back, and I was telling him a few things that he could do a little bit better, and particularly concerning my life and some things that were a little difficult, and I felt kind of challenging, and I'm really comfortable in what I do, and so... Um, you can imagine how he took that, because when I finished everything, there, there was this pause. And um, some of you guys know this pause. It's before your wife tells you a few things about you that you don't know yet. <laughs> it, was, it was that pause. And then he says, okay, Jonah, um, glad to know that you don't think I'm doing things right. And I told him, I'm like, my name's Brian, not Jonah. You got the wrong guy. And then it dawned on me, he's trying to talk to me about something. And I realized, not only that, but, you know, I realized this must be serious because he didn't just go medieval on me, okay? Like, there's going medieval on somebody, and then there's going OT on somebody, like Old Testament, right? God just went Old Testament on me. And I'm like, so, that is, this must be serious. Okay, God, check it out. So I pick up the book of Jonah. And I start reading, and I get to verse 1, chapter 1, and it starts like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And I realized God's trying to do a little bit of a gratitude intervention with me by showing me a great gratitude intervention, intervention that he did both with the whole people and with Jonah himself because there's not too many ways you can take that first statement it wasn't Jonah was reading his morning devotional and he felt like God was talking to him Jonah wasn't driving down the road listening to K-Love and that song comes on that makes him weepy every single time God got right in Jonah's grill and he says here's what I want you to do Not the other Jonah sitting beside you. Not in a general kind of all the Jonas in the world needs to listen to this now. Jonah Amitai, Brian Ronald Bailey, I'm talking to you. Here's what I want you to do. And see, here's a little thing that you need to know about the Ninevites. The Ninevites are the bad guys. Okay, Jewish people hated them. They are... The, the Russians in the Rocky movies. They're the Vietnamese in the Rambo movies. They're the Death Eaters in the Harry Potter series. They're the government in the Mission Impossible movies, okay? They're the bad guys. They don't like each other very much. And God said to Jonah, and, and, and who wouldn't sign up for this, right? I mean, come on. 
Never mind being grateful that God's going to use you in any way, shape, or form. But God says, hey, I'm going to anoint you to go tell the people that you hate that they're all going to hell. Come on, man. Where can I sign up? You would think Jonah would go, heck yeah. I'm down with that. What does he do? I love Verse 2 of chapter 1 is maybe one of the most human verses in the entire record of Scripture because you know what it says? It says, Jonah arose to flee. (laughs) This great man of God who hears directly from the Lord, his first response when God asks him to do something is to get up and go the other direction as far and as fast as he possibly can. And you know what? I don't think God has a problem with that. That may surprise some of you. I don't think God has a problem with that. If you read this book, it is full of people whose first response is, I'm not your guy, I can't do that, you got the wrong person. (laughs) But see, Jonah's perspective is a little warped. He is a little warped. And he's at a place where he cannot appreciate what God is asking him to do, even for his very, and and let's face it, the word we're talking about here is racist. For his very racist reasons, he can't even appreciate God doing that out of that. And do you know how God deals with that? God says, okay, we'll, we'll do something here. Here's what I think God has a problem with. And that's what Jonah does next. Jonah gets on this boat. The boat goes into the middle of a storm. The boat's getting tossed around, and people are throwing things overboard so that the boat doesn't sink. It's getting very, very serious. And the captain of the boat is in this all-hands-on-deck situation, and he noticed, hey, there's a dude not here. Where is he? And he goes and he finds Jonah, and Jonah is sleeping in the hull of the ship. You know why Jonah's sleeping in the hull of the ship? Jonah's trying to pretend like he trusts God in this life-threatening situation. This is the thing God has a problem with. This is what God is going to intervene in Jonah's life about. See, God doesn't mind our fear. He can deal with our fear. God really doesn't like it when we pretend to trust him. So Jonah's asleep pretending to trust God. The captain wakes him up and he says, dude, what's your deal? And Jonah says, says what he probably should have been saying up on the deck while everyone else was working. Hey, I worship the God that created all of this stuff. And they say, like so many times, well, well, what are we going to do? Here. And Jonah, because he's in a warped place, makes something up. Makes something up because he thinks it'll make God happy. He thinks that what will make God happy in this situation if he can just pay a price, pay the fine, and go free. And, he said, and so he commits spiritual suicide. He says, throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. Kill me. And that will make God happy. Do you think that's what God wanted him to do? And do you know how God deals with that? God sends a fish. 
Because God in his love and in his grace, in his beautiful, wonderful, sweet righteousness and perfection, does not want us to pretend, but he also does not want us to make things up to satisfy him. He wants us. He doesn't want us to be grateful in our whatever kind of craptastic situations that we're in this whatever craptastic situation. He wants us to be happy that he's with us in that. All he wants is us. And so Jonah goes and he does the thing that God's asked him to do. He goes to Nineveh, he preaches, and, and lo and behold, all of the people repent. And how, how you would think, you would think this would straighten Jonah out, right? I mean, if God said, I want you to go and do this thing and a whole city is going to come to know me, you would be like, wow, dude, that is one heck of a mission trip. I'm up. <clears throat> but do you know what chapter 4 starts with? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. <laughs> he just is not going to get it. And God tries to explain it to him again. He causes a plant to grow up. He sends a worm to eat the plant. It gets really weird. I don't know. But it's just God reiterating Again, God doesn't want your gratitude for whatever circumstance you're in because your circumstance may be really, really difficult. You may be in a bad place this morning. God does not want you to go, hey, thank you, God, for putting me in a bad place. God wants you to know that you can be grateful to be in his presence. And my nine minutes are up. Time. Tag it. I'm it. All right. I'm going to leave that off there. Time, there we go. All right. So King David. King David's a little different scenario. He's the man most famously known for a man after God's own heart. He became the king of Judah and reunited Judah with Israel under his rule. But David started as a shepherd boy. He started as a shepherd boy, much like our very own Chip Holt up here playing electric guitar this morning. And as I thought about this, I jotted down a few similarities in the life of David and Chip, just so you could have a little bit more, <laughs> could be in touch a little bit more with David. I thought it might help you. <clears throat> so... So Chip had sheep. David was a shepherd boy, right? Chip had sheep. Chip even had one that lived in the house. But Chip just didn't have sheep. Chip had alpaca. And so Chip, Chip tended his alpacas, or al, what is it, alpaca, alpacas, one of those, in rural Virginia. Well, David tended his sheep in the wilderness outside of Bethlehem. And David would sit on the countryside playing his harp. And worshiping the Lord. The chip would sit on his front porch and, and look out upon his alpaca and sit there strumming his six string on his front porch swing. <laughs> and both grew in their skill as evidenced by what you saw this morning. They grew in their skill and they grew in their purity of heart and worship. And also, Chip's family didn't look at full-time ministry as a viable source of employment for their son. And likewise, I'm sure that David's family never thought of 
king of Israel in the future of their shepherd boy's son. But Samuel shows up at their house. The prophet Samuel comes to their house, looks at seven brothers older than David and says, no, none of them. God has led me here. He's here somewhere. (gasps) This one. And anoints David to be king over Israel. And David went on. He defended his flock. He became a warrior. He learned to fight the lion and the bear. When they came to his flock, he leapt on them. And he killed the lion and the bear. And Chip also defended his alpaca. He battled many a groundhog that dug holes in the field. And he leapt on them and he killed them. Actually, I think he just used a 22 from his front porch swing. Which is good because they're nasty little vermin. They get rabies and that kind of thing. So it was probably smart thinking on Chip's part. Maybe the last one was a stretch. I don't know. I don't know. But see, David goes on to kill Goliath. Although one time I think Chip told me about a rather large groundhog that he took on. No, I'm kidding. But Chip went on to battle fire. He became a firefighter. And I'm sure there was many a time in the firefight where he took on Goliath. And it was a worthy accomplishment. But David goes on to be a war hero. He takes all of this that God has trained him in and God has shown him. And he goes on to be a war hero. And after killing Goliath, he becomes a leader of armies. And he goes to war for his king, Saul. And he becomes very famous. And in the Bible, it talks about how David, uh, coming, David and Saul coming back from war and Saul coming into the city. And the women singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. And this angers Saul. And so Saul's determined to kill David. And David flees. God preserves his life. David flees. He's followed by 400 men that are dedicated to him. And along the way, he gathers several more men. And so he has 600 men. And and he goes around fighting and hiding in the wilderness from Saul. And God is preserving his life. And God is showing him things. And he prays. And he goes to battle. And he prays to the Lord before he ever goes to the battle. And the Lord says, yes, do this. I will deliver them into your hands and give some strategies. And he's, he lives for years like this in the wilderness, battling enemies and, and taking the spoils and living off of it and dodging King Saul. And then King Saul finally dies. And David goes on to become the king of Judah. And several years later, he becomes the king of Israel and he unites Israel. And God gives him many military victories. Many spoils he gains, many wives, many concubines. He lives in the palace God has done great things for him. He writes many psalms that are in our modern Bible of these times and his gratefulness to the Lord and how the Lord preserved him. But something happens to David. David forgets. In the midst of all this stuff and all these things he has and living in this palace, he forgets and he allows ingratitude to slip in. When he was in the wilderness running, he was constantly grateful, writing songs of deliverance to God. And in this time of ingratitude, he's on his balcony. He looks out on the rooftop and he sees a woman bathing herself. And he's forgotten all of the things that the Lord has given him. And he's surrounded by his stuff. And he becomes unsatisfied with his stuff. So unsatisfied that he takes, brings that woman in, 
goes in, has sex with her, sends her back. She happens to be married to one of David's warriors. She comes back pregnant. Now David has to deal with this situation because he's at war. Her husband Uriah is at war. So he brings him back, tries to get his, her husband to sleep with her so that, you know, he would think it was his child. But he says, no, my brothers are, all, are, are at battle. I cannot do this. And so finally, David sends him back, and he sends him into, a, he says, send him into the most dangerous part of the battle. And he does, and Uriah dies. And so David has fixed his problem. Only God intervenes. Through Nathan the prophet, he sends Nathan the prophet to him, and he tells a story of a rich man who has many sheep and a poor man who has one sheep. The rich man receives a visitor. And rather than taking one of his sheep, he kills the sheep of the poor man that he has raised his entire life and feeds the visitor. And David becomes enraged when Nathan tells him the story. And then Nathan says, that man is you, David. And David realizes his sin. And he repents of his sin. And then Nathan tells him these words. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. He reminds David that he forgot to be grateful for what he had. David had taken things for granted. He became numb to gratefulness. And that resulted in a life-altering sin for David. David would never be free from the decision he made after losing his gratitude. It would haunt him his whole life. His family would fall apart because of it eventually. But the Lord forgave him for his sin. So God, through Nathan, gratitude intervention in David's life did lead to his repentance. But now we get a chance to see what happens in the life of the Apostle Paul when God intervenes there. All right, that means I've got about 30 seconds that I can use from Doug, so it takes me about a minute to set up. So don't start that timer yet, Chip. We heard all about you. Well, good morning. My name is Lauren. I've got nine minutes to give you a clear picture of another character in Scripture who responded to God's intervention in a different way, with a different reaction. And this man that I'm about to tell you about changed the world. Now, if you've ever been through an intervention, you know that they don't usually go as planned. They're not always pretty. They're pretty messy. And they end up with different results and different reactions. Brian, he told you about an intervention of a man named Jonah, right? That ended up kind of sour. He wasn't grateful. And Doug told you about a character in scripture named David. In that season of his life, he wasn't satisfied. And so he kind of had a minor attitude adjustment. Well, I'm gonna tell you about a character in scripture who was impacted by God's intervention and he ended up changing the world. Enter Saul. Saul was a Roman citizen. He was schooled as a Pharisee. He was a hater of Christians all day long and a tent maker on the side. 
And I want to tell you about Paul because Saul believed that any follower of Jesus that violated the Mosaic law was wrong. And he wanted to chase down any Christian. So the first scriptural mention of Saul is found in Acts chapter 7. Saul is a bystander of his fellow Jews throwing stones at Stephen because of Stephen's faith in Jesus. They stoned Stephen to death. Right after that moment, Saul got permission from the high priest to travel to Damascus to chase down more followers of Jesus. He harassed them. He even jailed them. And so in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, this is what scripture says about what Saul is doing. Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. So members of the Jerusalem church were freaked out. They fled to other regions just to escape Saul. So Acts chapter 9 This is where it all goes down. Paul receives permission to go to Damascus. On his way, he gets stopped. A flashing light stops him. He falls to the ground, and this light blinds him. And then he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? What does Saul say? Who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up. And go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Well, Saul was blind. So he had to be led by hand into Damascus. A few days passed, and a Christian disciple named Ananias stepped into the picture. Saul did receive eyesight, but in an instant, Paul's entire point of view changed. Even though Paul was blinded by the light, For the first time, he could see. God had opened his eyes to reality. So what happens after this intervention? Well, Saul, now Paul is given a new name. He's given a new identity. He's given new purpose. He's given new meaning. You see, a complete U-turn happened in Paul's life. God intervenes. Paul responds. And Paul began to preach and teach and walk out this thing called following Jesus. Paul couldn't get enough of Jesus. Anyone ever been there when you just can't get enough of Jesus? So with faith and courage, inflamed by the Holy Spirit, Paul would spend the rest of his life going from country to country, town and town, proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he would become known as the apostle to the Gentiles. And his teachings and his writings totally changed the world. Now, before Paul's conversion, you have to understand, this man, he had influence. He was highly respected. He was well-to-do. He had all he needed. But God. But God intervened and gave him a kingdom purpose with kingdom meaning. And his life forever changed. God intervened and so Paul reacted. Paul responded. I think so often when God intervenes in our lives, we don't respond like Paul, right? I think it's easy to respond like Jonah. And I think it's easy to respond like David. But I don't think we often respond like Paul. 
You see, Paul stepped into a totally new normal following Jesus. And this new normal would be full of adventure. It would be full of grace. It would be full of meaning and full of purpose. But Paul also knew this new normal following Jesus would involve hardship. It would involve betrayal. It would involve threatening. I mean, I'm sure he wanted to give up and find a safer nine to five, yes. And yet this man was incredibly grateful. My favorite glimpse into Paul's gratitude is found in Acts chapter 27. They're on a voyage to Rome, and they're on a ship, and the ship is about to be wrecked. And so the men are freaking out. They're saying, we're all going to die. Paul encourages them, reassures them, and says, we're not going to die. He takes bread, and he says, we need to eat so that we have enough energy to swim to shore. He takes the bread, and Scripture says that he breaks it. And then he thanks God for the bread, for the energy that they need to swim to shore. Paul has a full heart of gratitude. And now he shows us how to walk that out. 13 of the New Testament epistles were written by Paul. And four of those, the dude was in prison, right? And he frequently gave thanks to the churches and individuals addressed in those letters. He thanked them. He thanked them for their partnership financially. He thanked them for their love and faith and perseverance. He was incredibly grateful. But you know, Paul had every right to complain about his life. If you have read scripture about Paul's life, he had every single right to complain. And yet, he sang songs of thanksgiving. Words of praise came out of his lips. And so that's why this month we have been in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I hope this helps you understand. This is what it says. Rejoice always, y'all. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us. This is God's will for us. If you look at Paul's life, you track with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's like Paul is saying, Seco's Vineyard Church, trust God's sovereignty. Seacoast Vineyard Church, trust God's love for you. Seacoast Vineyard Church, trust that I have sent my son to be with you. And maybe, just maybe, God could be trying to intervene in your life. Maybe he's been trying to get your attention for a long time. Maybe he's trying to wake you up out of your slumber of ingratitude. How have you responded to God's intervention in your life? Are you like Jonah, who has just a bad attitude around gratitude? Or are you like David, who maybe in the season of your life, you just kind of tweaked your attitude a little bit, right? Or are you like Paul? You've made a complete U-turn of your life, and you recognize that if I trust God's sovereignty and God's love, I can be thankful in all circumstances. Amen? Amen. Jay, I want to invite you to come on up. Thank you guys for uh, that encouragement. Um, as we close here, we've closed a whole series of gratitude. And now's the time to respond to that. 
whether it's um, just continuing to thank God for where you are in your relationship with him, or um, maybe there's simple things that you just need to talk to God about. Maybe he's been prompting you through the series. Um, We all come in from crazy different places. We come from sometimes turmoil at home in relationships. Sometimes we come from um, just places at work that are stressful. But I think what you heard here today, in all things, in all situations, in all circumstances, God is calling us into his presence and asking us to posture ourselves in gratitude. And um, not, as Brian said, I was taking notes to make sure I was recapping correctly. As Brian said, it's not to be thankful for the turmoil, but thankful for his presence in it. And so um, there's one thing, as, as I was coming in this morning, I just have to share, because if, if you've come in in a position where you, these things make sense, these stories are a little, um, they're regular. You know, you've heard them and they're reiterated, but maybe you've come off the, off the street and this is not normal. Maybe you haven't heard this before. There's a passage, Romans 8, 5 said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we were unlovable, the greatest love was ever poured out, a grace unmeasurable to reconcile us back with our Father, with God. And so if, if that is not normal and new, we would love to talk to you about that. That's new. If that's new information, we would love to ta- chat with you about that. So as Skip plays here, we're going to just take a few minutes to be thankful. Um, So whatever circumstances you're in, whatever's going on in life, be thankful for his presence, his ability to walk with us through it. And maybe, maybe you're in a great place. Maybe you're running like Paul and Saul and you're just tracking with the Lord. That's something to be great with too. So just, uh, just take a few minutes as Skip leads us into this next and just, just pray. Thank the Lord. And we will be down front here. We would love to pray with you. We would love to talk with you about what you're grateful for. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website, or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.